Fit Nation. It's Fit Nation. Awesome. Where it began I can't begin to know it But then I know it's growing strong Wasn't the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd come along Touching hands Reaching out Touching me Touching you If you're a veteran and you're struggling or feel like you're leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. 
if you feel like a burden to someone or you feel embarrassed to talk to your friends and family, definitely use the hotline at 988 and press option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. That's the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the, bell, click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, the stories of our great guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is the founder of The Economy Conference, an event centered around financial independence. The economy has been described as a party about money, as well as the TED Talks of the FIRE movement. She's also the host of the popular podcast, Optimal Finance Daily, 300,000 downloads per week where she narrates articles from the best financial blogs on the planet. After getting out of $30,000 in debt in 11 months, she used her newfound financial freedom to negotiate a remote working arrangement with her employer, take a two-month sabbatical to walk 500 miles, that's 500 miles, across northern Spain on the Camino de Santiago and launch her own business. So without further ado, let's welcome Diana Merriam to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Diana. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, this is awesome. I'm glad we were able to get this thing squeezed in between both of our schedules and uh, yeah. and rock this thing out. So uh, if you don't mind, Anna, tell the Misfit Nation a little bit about your background that I didn't cover there uh, from as far back as you want to go to where we are now. Sure. So I built a corporate career in New York City within the industry of brand extension and licensing. And I really spent my 20s knowing nothing about money, really having my 20s in New York City, partying it up and spending recklessly. And I found myself at 28 years old in 30 grand of debt for like no good reason. Half of it was credit card debt and that from just simply living beyond my means. And then the other half was student loans, which 15 grand of student loans is like nothing. Like I'm sure, I'm sure people are listening to this. Like, what are you complaining about? However, I got a full academic scholarship to college and I took out loans for living expenses because I was 18 and I didn't know that like when someone's offering you a loan that you shouldn't take it. And so, um, so yeah, I, that's why I say I was in 30 grand of debt for no reason. And so I, you know, I had my 30th birthday looming. I think 30 is one of those big birthdays where you really reflect on your life. And I realized that, you know, as much as I was focused on increasing my income, I really didn't have a lot to show for it. And I wanted to get out of debt. And so I started like looking online at personal finance content and a lot of it just had this tone of struggle to it, you know, like it's going to be so hard. It's going to be a grind to get out of debt and save money and like, just a lot of the content out there just makes it feel impossible, you know? And so it was pretty discouraging. And then I come across this blog called Mr. Money Mustache. And this guy's a total badass, even though he has like a funny name, but he is one of the most popular bloggers in the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And this is a lifestyle movement of people who are saving very large percentages of their income and they're retiring early. So Mr. Money Mustache, his real name is Pete. Uh, he retired at 30 years old because he was saving like 70 to 80% of his income or something like that while he was working. Wow. 
And so I read his blog, like I devoured it with a spoon. I read every single article and became obsessed with it. And it really helped me understand that I didn't actually have an income problem. I had a money management problem and I was really wasting a lot of money on stuff that wasn't adding a lot of value to my life. And so he really helped me kind of have this very deep mindset shift and a new respect for money to see it as this like incredibly valuable tool that most of us waste because we've been conditioned since the day we were born to be good consumers. And so I kind of started this process of questioning a lot of my habits and assumptions around money and really changing a lot of my behaviors, which led me to get out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months. And then I started saving and investing about 60% of my income from there. And that opened up a world of options for me that I like I wouldn't have even considered if I wasn't in the financial position that I soon found myself in after getting out of debt and saving all this money. So that's kind of the background of like what got me into this stuff. You know, I talk about money every single day now. That's what I do. I produce an event about financial independence. I you know, host this podcast, which my bio is old. We're up to 500,000 downloads per week, which is insane. We're in like the top 1% of all podcasts. And I, and I'm in now re I'm now reading articles like from bloggers, like Mr. Money Mustache. He's actually one of our contributors. We have, we have about 200 contributors to the show. It's a narration style podcast. So I'm, I'm reading articles from these bloggers and then offering you about like a couple minutes of commentary on each one, but it's 10 minutes or less every single day. So like I talk about money every day now and I figured out my own situation, but I'm not like a CFP. I didn't go to school for this. I'm self-taught. Like I just figured it out. And if I can figure it out, I feel like other people can figure it out for themselves. And so that's why I like talking about this stuff because first of all, money is a really taboo subject, right? There's a lot of shame around it. There, there's a lot of like our self-worth tied up in it and like a lot of messy emotional stuff around money. Um, and so to be able to like empower people that this is all figure outable and you just got to get curious and start digging into like the realities of your situation and you will be able to fix it. You just have to like, it's just something you have to focus on. Definitely. And uh, to your point of New York City and college in the in your early teens or late teens, I should say, into 20s, I went to Berkeley College in New York City on uh, East 43rd Street for my first foray into college. And debt started there. Then I transferred to St. Peter's College across the river in Jersey City and kept raising that debt until I said, hey, I'm going in the Army. I got to get out of this. I, yeah. I can't keep raising debt and live because I was working just to go to school to pay for the debt and I had nothing. So yeah. I let me let me start a career and I started that career and had the army help me pay it back and started getting on my feet but you know financial woes ruined a lot of my friends careers as we went through the ranks because they had that small family growing and not a lot of income coming in at all yeah overriding debt on top of that it crushes souls and you lose your clearance you lose your job absolutely yeah so I feel the the New York City burden there for you <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your conference about financial independence what made yeah. you do that? So this conference was really the answer to my question. Like if I was actually financially independent, which 
I had been on track to reach that by the time I was 40 years old. I totally blew up that plan by quitting my corporate career like a year and a half ago. So who knows when I'll actually reach it, but I've reached this other kind of financial milestone called coast fi. And this basically means I have front loaded my retirement savings. So I have enough in my retirement vehicles where, you know, I'm 35 now, by the time I'm 65, 30 years from now, it will grow through the power of compound interest to what I need at that age to actually like traditionally retire. Um, so basically where I'm at now is I I've been kind of downshifting in that I still need to work for money, but I don't need to work full time. And my expenses are really low and I've already like saved and invested for retirement. So basically I meet all of my expenses on one day of work, which is this podcast that I do. Um, however, the conference was supposed to be like, what would I do with my time if I didn't need to make money? I'd create a party about money. Like this is supposed to be my retirement project, but I got so excited about it. I couldn't wait. And I'm so glad that I didn't wait because it really has changed my trajectory by creating this thing. And it was inspired by this other event that I go to, which I actually just went to the last one. They've been running this for 10 years and they're shutting it down. It's called the world domination summit which sounds insane, right? Like it's it produced by Pinky and the Brain or something like that. But I went to this event because Mr. Money Mustache spoke at it in like 2016. That's how I learned about it. And so I've gone like four or five times since. And this event attracts like 2,000 super interesting people, like people living unconventional lives. And they have these main stage speakers that are telling you about like the charity they started or the athletic feat they accomplished, or like the, the, one of my favorite speeches from this last event was the, was it Colin O'Brady? He walked across Antarctica. He was like the first guy to walk across across Antarctica unassisted. He pulled 375 pounds of food behind him for like two months to walk across Antarctica. I mean, it was insane, but it's these kind of people that are living these very unconventional lives and you're surrounded by them at an event like that. And every time I would go, I would leave feeling like my life was so full of possibility because it is, but when we're in the daily grind, we can't see that. And so sometimes you got to like get yourself into a obscure event like that and be surrounded by people that are thinking differently. And so I wanted to create something that would give other people that feeling, but specifically about their money. And so that's how economy was born. It was really inspired by a world domination summit. I took what I thought was the best parts of that event and really mirrored a lot of what they do. And then I also added like a lot of my own unique elements to it. So the crux of it is it's really about inspiration and community. I don't see what the point is of retiring early if I've got no one to hang out with. I'm, I'm like an extreme extrovert, right? So I've got to make friends of other people that are doing this weird thing of like saving 60% of their income and retiring in their 30s and 40s so that I have people to hang out with. And actually my best friend today, I met her at the first economy conference, which happened in 2020. And she's the only other person that I know that has full autonomy over her time. So just yesterday, I mean, yesterday was a, what's today? I don't even know what day it is. It's Thursday. Yesterday was a Wednesday. We floated down the Miami river in Cincinnati, Ohio, in like the middle of the afternoon while everybody else is like sitting at their desk. You know, we get to do things like that. We go long distance hiking every weekend. And it's pretty amazing to have friends that are like on the same kind of 
path that you're on. So that's the first thing is like to create community and also inspiration because about 70% of the audience is in what we call the accumulation stage of building, like pursuing FI. So you're, you're just grinding away, saving the large percentage of your income and you're letting it accumulate till you reach what, um, the, the, your FI number, which is defined as 25 times your yearly expenses. When you have a nest egg of 25 times your yearly expenses, you're said to be financially independent because it means that you can draw down from that portfolio at a relatively safe withdrawal rate of 4% each year to, and that money will last the rest of your life. It's the 4% rule um, is, is what it's called. It's a very traditional model for any, if you retire at any age, right? And so most people that come to economy are like in the grind of trying to get to 25 times their yearly expenses. And so for some people, it, t- it takes five years. For some people, it takes 10. For some people, it takes 20. Traditionally, it takes 40 if you ever get there, right? There's a lot of people at 65 that don't have enough to retire. Um, and they're probably reliant on social security and that kind of stuff. Um, so there's a lot of content and activities that we have that is really built around what we call fueling the fire. It's to kind of keep you engaged on this path to, cause when you first learn about it, it's so exciting. And like, you're going to bring out your spreadsheets. You're going to analyze all your expenses. You're going to figure out your investment strategy. You're going to come up with your plan. But then once you do all of that, once you've optimized your income, your expenses, your investment strategy, it's like, you're just, it's kind of a waiting game at that point. And so to be able to like continue to engage with the community, I think is really important to like keep you motivated to stay the course. And then the last part I'll say, um, is that we also have main stage speakers that are talking about the pursuit of financial independence from a lot of different angles. So we had a great speaker on student loan debt since we were talking about student loan debt, right? What do you do about that? I mean, he's a leading expert in the space that, that gave a very compelling um, presentation that I wish I would have known when I was dealing with my student loan debt. Um, we had a really amazing speaker about medical billing fraud, which is a an $80 billion problem that no one is talking about, right? So the the number one obstacle for people who are actually financially independent, for them to leave their W-2 jobs, most people don't do it because they're scared about health insurance and medical costs, right? It's a huge barrier for people. And so even like I just bought health insurance off the exchange and it was fine for me. It really is state dependent and you know I, I won't get into all the details on that. But even if you have insurance, you can get a medical bill that, you know, insurance decides not to cover, or it's still very expensive, even though you have insurance. And so, um, this presenter named Angel Salucci, she really showed people like what this problem is all about and how do you analyze your medical bills to advocate for yourself, um, and make sure that, you know, you're not being taken advantage of. I mean, med- medical care is the only thing we pay for where we have no idea what, how much it's going to cost until afterwards. So you can't even determine if you can afford it until after you get the care anyway. So there's, there's a lot of different presentations on like tactical things like that, but then there's a lot for inspiration. Like the most popular speech from the first economy conference was a woman named Jackie Cummings Kosky. 
And she discovered the fire movement at 38 years old. She was a single black woman making single black mother making less than six figures. And she retired at 49. Wow. Now, granted, she did it during this incredible bull run that we just had, right? We're probably entering a recession. So, but still a recession is an amazing time for people to invest because then you get to ride the wave back up over the long term, right? Um, but still, I mean, the fact like she did this presentation where she opened up the books, she showed you all of her numbers, she explained to you exactly how she reached financial independence in 10 years. And it was incredible. Um, people really appreciate the transparency because again, money is such a taboo topic that a lot of us don't want to talk about our income and our expenses and how we're investing because either we're embarrassed about it or we feel that, you know, we don't want everyone to know how much money we have, right? We're worried about people coming with their hand out, um, you know, looking for us to support them as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a complex topic, but I find that the generosity, the transparency, and the openness of the people in the FI community that are talking about this stuff is so helpful for, you know, others that are figuring out their path as well. Definitely. And uh, on the point of medical stuff, uh, a lot of people, not just the doctors, they're afraid to go to doctors because they don't know that that crapshoot that's going to happen when they walk up or, oh, you have X wrong with you. You don't even know what X is. They can just, oh, yeah. you have no idea what that word is. It's in Latin or something. And they say it to you and, oh, it's got to be deadly. It's got to be deadly. I go to seven more doctors. That's $70,000 automatically for something you have no idea what it is. No. It could be a hangout, no. but you don't know what it is. Yep. It's just a crapshoot going to any medical facility or, you know, people say they're afraid of doctors. They're afraid of the bill. And like you said, oh, yeah. it's not black and white until you get that paper months later. Well, and if you're not a medical professional, it's really hard to determine if this is even medically necessary. Like I remember one time I had a doctor's appointment and they thought they felt a lump in my breast. So they had me do like an ultrasound and the insurance company determined that this was not medically necessary and that it was, it was an optional test. And I, like, I didn't know what I know now, um, but you know, they wouldn't cover it. So it was, you know, like $1,500 or maybe it was a thousand dollars. I don't remember. It was so long ago, but also like there was nothing. I think she was be maybe she was being overly cautious or maybe, and I've heard this before, you know, the CEO of her hospital group wants her to order more ultrasounds because they can bill for it. Right. I've heard that from doctors as well. So it is a crapshoot and it's, it's incredibly infuriating the profiteering nature of our healthcare system. And so that's actually part of the title of her speech. It's the uprising of America against its profiteering healthcare system. Nice. And she's a nurse practitioner. So she was on the medical side and now she's in a, a fraud investigator. Um, you know, she, she basically built her uh, investigation practice around helping insurance agencies because medical billing would come in insurance agencies when they're like the insurance companies, when they're evaluating the bill, it's not a medical professional that's evaluating that coding. They don't know if it's medically necessary, right? right? Or like they, they're just looking at coding, right? And so she was able to kind of like dissect like, okay, why would you need six IVs for this surgery? Right. Like it seems like they're double billing here. And because of her experience, she was able to 
to to make those kind of calls. But it it really is fascinating. We could have the whole episode about healthcare because it I, clearly I get pretty fired up about it. Um, and I'm surrounded by these experts that you know like angel who they're like in it and they understand the complexities of it i think what makes you more uh appeasing as a financial uh literary person i guess you call it is that you're not actually school trained on it you schooled yeah. yourself and so you're just like average joanne coming down the street teaching them that you did it they can do it and then you bring expert opinions in to help them and i think that helps out a lot uh, to bring a some uh value to what you're bringing and validity to what you're saying on, on your microphone and help bring your audience in. I think that's outstanding. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the financial services industry, like they are incentivized to make personal finance and investing seem more complicated than it actually is. You know, you're going to pay a financial advisor one or 2% in assets under management fees, which is typical for the industry, for them to put you in index funds or make sure that you don't panic sell. I mean, over the long term, you're giving about 30% of your portfolio away to fees for someone to do what you could very easily do yourself. And so I, I don't want to like bash all financial advisors. I really have a lot of respect, especially for the ones that are flat fee advising and for being able to advise on more complex situations. Like if you're coming up with a drawdown strategy from your portfolio, I would absolutely pay for a financial advisor's time to double check my strategy and make sure that I don't have any blind spots because, you know, that makes sense. But to, you know, to pay someone to invest in index funds for you doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And I think a lot of people have learned along the way, hopefully a lot of people have learned that along the way to be very cautious who you, who you pick when you're doing your financial portfolios growing up and as you move forward in life. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I met an advisor recently and I showed her this graphic that showed like AUM fees and the effect it has on someone's portfolio over the long term. And I'm like, okay, so I pay 0.04% in fees for me to invest in total market low fee index funds. How do you justify this like 2% fee that results in taking 30% of someone's portfolio over the long term? And she said, well, people need financial advisors because if they didn't have us, they would panic sell. If everyone was just investing in index funds, there would be no need for us. So what you're doing is great, but most people wouldn't do that. And I just found it fascinating that the solution for making sure people don't panic sell is to take such a large percentage of their portfolio rather than to educate people on how you can easily do it on your own. I mean, I, it's, I don't know, it boggles my mind. It's stunning, I believe. There is yes. Report, yes. On your bio, I seen something about FU money. Uh, yeah. What is what is it and why do you need it? So FU money is um, kind of this, like one of the milestones on the path to financial independence. So, you know, when you're financially independent, like I mentioned before, you got, you've got 25 times your yearly expenses. On the other side of that spectrum, you're like drowning in debt, right? So really the first milestone is that you're debt free. Your second milestone is that you've got your emergency fund. You know, the third, the third milestone could be that you are like heavily saving for retirement, right? And so you're really heavily investing for your, your future. 
Um, once you start really like checking those bo boxes and reaching those milestones, um, you, you start to see the options open up. And so FU money is really kind of like, uh, a larger emergency fund, I guess you can say. So most people in their emergency fund will want to keep around three to six months of cash. I personally do a year of cash, but that's because I'm an entrepreneur now. And so my income very much fluctuates. Um, but even before when I had a full-time job, a W2 job, I really was shooting for a year of cash because to me, it's just, it, that's a sense of security to know that I've got a year of expenses that I'm holding in cash. I also, my investment strategy, I have a 100% stock portfolio, so I don't have any bonds. I don't really have anything kind of smoothing the ride of the volatility of the stock market, right? And so I manage that risk by holding probably more cash than what people think is reasonable, but I call it my emergency slash opportunity fund. Um, but FU money, I would define as two years of cash. And what that means is that you basically are a, you still have to work, but you have enough money where like you can float yourself for a while to experiment with some things. Maybe you want to take a mini sabbatical or a mini retirement. We like to call it. Um, you take some time off. You think if, you know, do I want to use this time to build a business or explore the world or what do I want to do? Um, and it's basically enough of a pool of money where like when the shit hits the fan at your job, you can say, F you, I'm out of here. And that's exactly what happened to me. So, so I was with my employer for nine years and this is where I thought I was going to be you know, I was going to just stay at this company until I reached financial independence. Like that was my plan. And, you know, I was one of their top performers. I was a salesperson and they had given me, you know, three 20, 20% 20 raises three years in a row. Like my income was really climbing. They let me move from New York city to Cincinnati and work remotely in 2017, which is like way before the norm before COVID times where like now everybody's working remotely. They let me take two months off of work to go walk the Camino in Spain. You know, that they were like very much, they were treating me very well. Right. But then this company went through this slow process of like being acquired and then they were spun off and then they were joint ventured. So like the culture of the company, you know, changed a lot over time. And we had this, you know, new CEO and it went, you know, it very quickly turned into a boys club. And I found myself as the only woman on my team. And the, like a lot of my favorite colleagues kind of fled the company. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was because women were not treated very well at this kind of new management that we had. And I later found that out when I was kind of exploring like, you know, what my options were and like what the, what was going on with my situation. But basically uh, I got a new boss and it was the result of like the CEO just picking his good friend who was completely unqualified and incompetent. And I have never had an incompetent boss before. I'm sure people are like listening to this laughing, like welcome to my everyday, right? But like, I'm very fortunate that I've always worked for people that like really knew what they were doing. And I learned a lot from them and they were great managers. And 
Uh, so this was like new territory for me. And at first I was kind of like, oh, like he doesn't know what he's doing. So like I can talk circles around him and it's fine. You know, like this is, he's not bothering me. Like, this is great. But what I didn't realize is that he also couldn't understand the value that I brought. And he made it very clear over time that I was being held to a much higher standard than my male colleagues. And I was also paid a lot less, like 50 grand less. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So when this whole like Black Lives Matter and Me Too and all that stuff was going on, like, you know, I think that was like beginning of COVID, right? And I was getting pulled into all these meetings about like diversity and inclusion, right? Which a lot of corporations did these initiatives at that time. And it was largely performative, right? It's largely like, we're going to say we care about this, but we're not going to actually do anything about it. And so I found myself in those kind of meetings. And when I was asked, well, you as the only woman on the team, what do you think about diversity and inclusion? And I just straightforward said, like, this is about pay parity. Like, if you really care, then just pay women the same that you pay men. Like, why is this so complicated? Right. And so I saw this as an opportunity for me to increase my salary because yes, I was getting those 20% raises, but it had been like three years since I had any raise. Yet my performance was expected to keep climbing every year. Right. But I wasn't being compensated for that. And so, you know, I brought it to their attention that I know I'm the lowest paid yet. I'm one of the highest performers. I surveyed our top six competitors and asked them, Hey, I'm not looking for a job, but like, how much would, if you were going to hire me, how much do you think I'm worth based on, you know, the results of my performance and, you know, my experience and all of that. And it was like, I was like 50 grand underpaid. And so I thought, oh, like, let's just correct this. And I made my case. I'm a salesperson. I made a pretty good case. Right. And, uh, and it was just like, nope, we're not going to do anything about this. So I actually felt the need to leave on principle because I feel that these kind of, this kind of discrimination and unfair treatment, it kind of persists in the silence. And when I was talking to other female colleagues in other departments and women that had left for very similar reasons, they all left quietly. And the ones that were there were afraid to say something or rock the boat or burn bridges and all of that stuff that people are concerned about. So F you money allows you to get out of toxic situations and like say something on the way out. So I wrote a pretty damning exit letter explaining to them, like, how can I leave a company after nine years and not tell them the reason why the real reason why, you know? And, um, and I did it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I knew I was going to talk about this with people like you, and it felt very disingenuous to talk about it with you and not say it to them directly. Right. Um, also I decided not to sue, even though I had a really good case. Um, but if another woman at the company decided to sue, my letter and their acknowledgement of my letter would have helped her. So that felt important to me because I know I'm going to be fine. I have FU money, but how do you like, you know, support people on your way out that aren't in as fortunate of a position? So anyway, I'm rambling on about why you need FU money, but it really is to, it's like your insurance policy to not have to tolerate bullshit. That's perfect right there. That was outstanding. And uh, 
that you gave a lot of information that little that little bubble there about human that was good too so i like that and uh and it showed a lot of what actually happens in the corporate world uh to many other women that are in the corporate world they get stepped on or basically sidestepped to have like you said hire your buddies or just get up the all-man culture above them in in like our workplace it's mostly guys that work with us but there are women that work at the higher levels than us. So I know they get paid more to me. So I'm happy for them, but where I am, I'm just kind of like a nug down here teaching, teaching soldiers, but I feel good about yeah. what I'm But so. here's the thing that I, I think having financial security, FU money, all this, like the reasons why you would really want to like pay attention to your financial situation, you know, your cus your, your employer is your customer. They're not your overlord, but when you're in a desperate financial situation, it feels that way, right? You don't want to piss off the boss and you, you don't want to like do anything on work hours that is like, you know, taking care of a doctor's appointment or something like that. Like the amount of eggshells that we walk on for our employers, it's just unreasonable. And so I feel like having the financial leverage to not have to tolerate that kind of lifestyle to me has been well worth it. I can feel your passion on it and you're smiling a little, probably a lot bigger now than you were when this was going on. So hopefully totally. that is the case when, when you're able to float down the river in the middle of the week and, and have fun with your best friend. So that shows that that FU money actually helped you. And you can still think that in your head to FU to them as you're going down the river. That's good. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so on the topic of financial independence, does the people that you surround yourself with help you in that matter or hurt you in that matter? 100%. I, there's this quote that I love and I, I shared it with my audience at the last economy conference during my opening presentation, trying to help people understand like the importance of the people you surround yourself with. And the quote is, if you look at your inner circle and you're not inspired, then you don't have a circle, you have a cage. And seriously, it like, it really makes a lot of sense to me because it's like, we're so we can be really intentional about like maybe what job we pick or, you know, who we marry or, you know, there, there's certain things that we can be pretty intentional about, but a lot of times it's like, we just hang out with the people that are around or the people that we've always hung out with. And I feel that when I started tapping into this community of really like financially savvy people, it's almost like I improved my finances through osmosis because I'm just surrounded by people that are like also doing the same thing. And it, it really helps you curb your like instincts to keep up with the Joneses. You know, like I live a pretty modest lifestyle, but so do all my friends. You know, no one's talking about their yacht and their new mansion that they just bought because we don't really value those kinds, that kind of materialism. We value an abundance of time and being able to create what we want to in the world and be able to spend time with each other. And so having, surrounding yourself with people with those values, I just find that there's like a, a, a depth to them that you just don't get from kind of more surface level people. Like my best friend, Erin on the river yesterday, she said something that I thought was so, uh, so accurate where she said, shallow people talk about other people and deeper people talk about ideas. And I think that's what you find in, in specifically the fire community. Like when we get together, it's just a lot of idea exchange and less bitching. 
That's awesome. That'd be a great day for me. I hate hearing all that side of the, the I guess, the shallow side of it. I like the deeper thoughts. So that's good. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Diana, thanks for sharing all your knowledge with us in this uh, short period. This probably can go on for two hours talking to you like this, but I know you have a life and uh, we have to let you get back to it. How does someone get in contact with you to either pick your brain or just uh, listen to your show or whatever? Yeah. So you can listen to me every single day of the year on Optimal Finance Daily. So make sure to check that out and subscribe. You can also go to my YouTube channel if you just look up Economy Conference. And Economy is spelled with an M-E at the end, not an M-Y. So Economy. Uh, you can see all of the speeches from the past two events. So, you know, we really invest in videography. So just like TED Talks, so we can put those videos up for anyone to see and, and benefit from. So you can check that out. You can also go to my website, economyconference.com, where you can sign up for my mailing list. There's a contact form there if you want to get in touch with me. Um, and then party with us on November 3rd, or not November, that was last year's event. March 17th through 19th of 2023 is the next event. And we're at, we're about halfway sold out this far in advance. So if you're interested, definitely jump on grabbing a ticket to the next event and come hang out with this amazing community. And where will that be held? That's at the University of Cincinnati. University of Cincinnati. All right. Bearcats. All right. Gotcha. We'll put you down. And uh, I had a great time chatting with you here and uh, I probably can do this again for, like I said, hours because you have a lot of knowledge and, and you can, you can really passionately present it. So I liked it. Uh, and once again, thank you for sharing all that with us. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, Please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are... It's fit, it's, 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 it's fit Nation.